All right, notice in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul, he would often make statements about how he's just kind of, he's ready to go. I mean, he was ready to be in heaven. He was ready to be with the Lord. He had that desire to depart, he said in one passage. But, you know, it was more needful that he stay on earth. God had a work for him to do. So it wasn't like he was going to go kill himself or anything like that. But at the same time, he's like, you know what? I'm ready to go. He was. He knew, he was confident that when he died, that he was going to be present with the Lord. And he makes that statement there. He says, we're always confident knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And he says, you know, we're willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He was not scared of death. Paul had a strong confidence in where he was going. And so when, while Paul was often threatened by death, we don't see him fearing death because Paul, he was so confident in where he was going to spend eternity that it, it did not affect him one bit. He just kept on doing the right thing. And the title of my message this morning is Confident Christians. And I think there's a lot of decent people that are in the world today that are going through the motions of life, unfortunately, with no confidence in what they're doing. Whenever we go soul winning, we ask people, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And a lot of people, you know, good people, religious people, they'll say things, well, you know, I hope so. But they don't really know. They're not, they're not confident in it. Some people are so unconfident that we, I talked to somebody yesterday from a Baptist church that when I asked them if they knew that they were saved, they were just like, you know, I just, I I don't even want to have this conversation. You know, that's just not really anyone's business. You know, you have your beliefs, I have mine. And, you know, I just don't want to talk about it. I was just like, hey, you know, we're both Baptists. You know, shouldn't be too different, but she wasn't going to have nothing to do with it. And you know why? The reason why is because when I asked her that question, she had no clue what the answer was. And and y'all remember when you were in school, when the teacher would ask a question that you knew the answer to and you were confident you had the right answer. I mean, your hands up, right? You're ready to say the answer when you know the answer. But what do you do when you're not sure? You keep your hand down just in case. What do you do when you know you don't know the right answer? You just sit there and you try to be invisible, hoping that the teacher will not call on you. All right. And what's the difference? It's that confidence. And when you have confidence in something, you're ready. And many people today are going through life. They have no confidence in their religion. They have no confidence in their faith. They're just going through the motions and we shouldn't be that way as Christians. We ought to be confident and you know, we ought to be confident in our salvation. You need to be confident in your salvation. Look what it says in Philippians chapter one and verse six. It says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Did you know the day of Jesus Christ? That's the day of the rapture. That's the day when Jesus Christ returns. That's the day when we will see Him. And the Bible says when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Okay? But what about between now and that day? Alright, maybe you got saved years ago. Maybe you got saved recently. Well, you know what? We can be confident that He which began a good work in you, that He will perform to the day of Jesus Christ. 
Whose work is it that got us saved? Alright, do not say your works, because if you're trusting in your works, you're not saved. It was the work of Jesus Christ that got us saved. It was His death on the cross. It was His burial and resurrection. It was those things, it was those works, it was His perfect life that saved us. It was His keeping of the law. He did all those things. All we did was had faith in Him. And since He began the work, you know what? He's also the one that's going to finish the work. There's people that say, well, I believe salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. But if you don't keep being good, then you can lose your salvation. Know what? Jesus began the work and He's going to finish the work too. He will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I don't, I'm not the one that has to perform it. He will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that will keep me saved. Therefore, I'm confident that I'm going to heaven. There's many people today who they use a lot of the same terminology we do. They say they believe salvation is by grace through faith, but they do not know that they're going to heaven. And the reason for that is because they think it's based on their works. And they're like, you know, what if I do something bad? What if I get out of church? What if I get away from God? Then I'm not going to go to heaven. Hey, your works didn't get you saved and your works won't keep you saved. Jesus Christ did it all. Therefore, we can be confident that we're going to heaven. We can know we're going to heaven. And we can rejoice in that. We don't need to fear death or anything like that. We know we're going to heaven. Look at what it says in Philippians 3 and verse 1. Now, many of the things that were said are said in this passage. We see some of those same things read in the passage that Brother Lonnie read. But I want us to look at Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 3. It says here, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The concision there, those were people who thought they were saved because they had kept some works of the law, because they had been circumcised. Specifically, the Jewish people, they were ones who thought they were going to go to heaven because of their works, because of their performance in the law. And the Apostle Paul, he said, we have no confidence in the flesh. And he said in verse 4, look at what he says. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh, that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That was something Jews were supposed to do, get circumcised in the eighth day. Of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. You know what Paul was talking about here? Paul's saying, hey, if we're going to have confidence in the flesh, if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, he said, it's me. He said, man, I was a Pharisee. I was blameless concerning the law. Paul did a lot of work. Paul was so zealous in his religion, he even persecuted the church. He was very zealous of those things. 
Paul did a lot of work. But you know what? All that work that Paul was doing, Paul realized was not succeeding in getting him into heaven. So you know what he did? He left all those things behind. He abandoned his position. He abandoned everything he had. And what did he do? He just trusted in Christ and he counted all things but lost. And he said, those things that are lost, I count them but dung. I don't miss them. None of us misses what goes down the toilet. All right, We don't miss that stuff. That's lost. It's history. We don't ever want to see it again. And we see that Paul, that's how he was about all the works that he had done in the past. You know why many people don't get saved when we go out soul winning, especially a lot of elderly people? I've talked to some people. I talked to a guy right over in Sterling one time. He had been in the Catholic Church for 80-some years. He grew up in the Catholic Church. He was an altar boy. For 80-some years, he'd been going to the same church. And I asked him, what do you have to do to be saved? Well, go to heaven. And he talked about doing good works. That's what he mentioned. And I showed him from the Bible that, no, hey, it's not about works. But you know what? That man, he's looking at me, a guy in his 30s. He's been going to church twice as long as I, more than twice as long as I've been alive. He's been working his whole life towards going to heaven. Well, what does that mean? If he admits that I'm right, and, or the Bible is right, and that salvation is not of works, you know what that means? 80-some years of work is for nothing. But you know what? The truth is, those works aren't going to do him any good anyway, but you know what? He, unfortunately, he, he's hanging on to those things. He's holding on to those works. You know what he needs to do? He needs to do like the Apostle Paul and say, you know what? I'm just going to count it a loss. Forget it. I count it but dung. I'm going to move on and I'm going to have faith in Christ. And it's sad because you know what? Even after 80 some years, 80 some years working his way to heaven, I asked him, do you know you're going to heaven? He's like, I hope so. No confidence. No confidence in where he's going over and over again. I, I, I talked to people from three different Baptist churches yesterday. One person I talked to, I asked them if they knew they were going to heaven. They're like, well, you know, I hope so. I don't really know. You know, and I was like, man, can I show you from the Bible how you can know for sure? I'm, I'm busy. I've got to feed my cat. I mean, feeding your cat is more important than, you know, you, you, it takes like 10 seconds to feed your cat. You know, you dump a little food into the thing. You know, and then, and so, you know, he wasn't going to do it. He closed, he closed the door, but then he stopped me. I thought, oh man, he changed his mind. And he was like, asking me a question about the church and everything. And, and then I was like, Hey, you sure you haven't got time? You know, after, after he stopped me, no, no, I, I got to get going. So, uh, you know, it, it's disappointing, but no confidence, no confidence whatsoever. We ought to have confidence in our salvation and we should have no confidence in the flesh. And we, we should, I mean, we ought, that ought to scare us, the thought of standing before God and just being judged according to our works. And Him holding our, you, you know, using our works. If we are going off works, we're in big trouble. According to the Word of God, we're going to go to hell. And the truth is, we can know we're saved. We can have confidence that we're going to go to heaven, but only if we're trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And trusting in what He has already done, then we can have confidence. And people, the people too who think their works prove their salvation. And there's a lot of Baptists out there that are like this. They'll tell you salvation is not of works, but if you're saved, you'll have works. Well, here's the problem with that. First off, now we're not trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. We're trusting in our current works. 
And you know, people who have those beliefs, churches that teach that kind of stuff, especially the young people in their church, they get saved over and over and over again. And when I say get saved over and over again, I'm saying they make professions over and over again. Because you only get saved one time. But they make profession after profession. Every year when they go to youth conference, they're getting saved. You know why? Because they grow up in church being told if you're saved, you're never going to want to do any of these things. And yet they want to do these things. They're not taught that, you know what, we still have sinful flesh and we got to overcome these things. And they do. They're always looking at their flesh. And I can't figure out if I'm saved or not. I, I still want to sin. We're not, we don't have confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. That's why I want to stay close to Christ. Because I, I don't want to fall into sin. I could potentially fall into sin. But at the same time, the Bible teaches me I can have confidence I'm going to heaven because my salvation is not in any way based on my works. And proof of salvation is not based on my works. I don't have to prove, I don't have to talk about my works to prove that I'm saved. You get these preachers, they all want to get up and they all want to talk about all the things that they do as proof. I know I'm saved. I go to church every week and I love it. You know, I give my tithes and offerings. I never cuss anymore. I, you know, I do this. I just helped an old lady across the street. I know I'm saved. You know, be talking about their works. But then what are they going to do if the flesh starts taking over and the flesh starts getting hold? You know what they're going to do? They're going to think, did I ever really get it? And they struggle with these things over and over again. But you know what? I'll get up and I'll talk all day about how I know that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But then you're not going to hear me talk about my works. You're going to hear me talk about the works of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do. Like the Apostle Paul, who would clean our clocks when it comes to works, did not talk about his works. He talked about the work of Jesus Christ. He said, we have no confidence in the flesh. Paul said, oh, wretched man who, that I am, who should live me from the body of this death? Why did Paul, who was so much better than any of us, think he was so bad? I'll tell you why. Because he was so close to God. And when you're close to God, you're never going to think of your works as anything good. You would never think you're on your way to heaven. I'm telling you right now, these preachers that get up and they talk about their works as proof of their salvation, mark it down. They do not have a relationship with God. They are not close to God at all. They are frauds and they are phonies. And I don't care how good they look, we shouldn't listen to people like that. Absolute phonies. That's completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. But we, we need to be confident in our salvation. We ought to have confidence in what we're preaching. Alright? So I'm not a pastor, but wait a minute. If you're a Christian, alright, part of our job is to preach the gospel to every creature. Whenever you be a witness to somebody, you're preaching them the gospel, right? You don't just preach from behind the pulpit. Okay? This is not the only place where you preach. But turn over to Acts chapter 28 and verse 28. The Apostle Paul here is talking. This is the very end of the book of Acts. And it says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. All right, Paul's, these things that Paul's preaching, specifically these things he's preaching to the Gentiles. It was a mystery that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles that the Jews didn't understand for a long time. But God ends up revealing that in the book of Acts that you know what? It's for the Gentiles too. 
And Paul was so sure about what he was preaching, he had no problem going anywhere, to any place, to any people, and just boldly preaching them the gospel. He was not ashamed of it one bit. Not at all. He said in Romans chapter 1, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was not ashamed to go to, to witness, to teach these things. He was not ashamed of it. Okay? And when it comes, I don't know, some of you maybe have been involved in sales and things before. But have you ever had to try to sell something that you weren't real confident in? You know? Maybe you weren't even sure it was that great. I've been involved in some of that before too, where a lot of times I'm kind of making claims and promises for other people. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if they're going to get it done. I don't know if they're going to do that good of a job. I don't know if they can handle it. And you don't always have a lot of confidence. And if you don't have that confidence in sales, it's going to hurt your ability to sell. And the truth is, there's a lot of preachers today, pastors, who have no confidence in what they're preaching. They get up. And well, and they don't want to take strong stands on anything. You know why? Because they're not confident. There's a lot of preachers today. They don't want to publish their preaching and they don't, they're not going to put it online or anything like that. You know what? Because they're not confident that what they're preaching is the truth. Hey, if you're going to be preaching something, you ought to be confident that you're telling the truth. You know why a lot of people don't want to go soul winning? They don't want to go witnessing? Because they're not confident that it works. And I'm going to tell you right now, the reason so many Baptist churches are abandoning soul winning is because many of them are buying into this repent of your sins for salvation doctrine. And they have no confidence in that. They can't even figure out if they're saved. If you can't even figure out if you're saved, why would you go out telling other people how to get saved? I sure wouldn't do it. I sure wouldn't do it. If I thought you had to repent of your sins to be saved, if I'm honest... Why would I go out trying to get strangers to repent of their sins when I can't even repent of my own sins? I'm not going to do that. And the reason they're abandoning these things, the reason they can't get anyone in their church to go out and go soul winning is because these people aren't confident in what they're preaching. They're not sure what it says. But you know, why aren't we sure? Why aren't we confident? Do we not believe that the Word of God is perfect and inspired and preserved? We believe those things. We teach these things here. You see, Paul was confident that what he had came from the Lord. Turn over to Ephesians, uh, back to Ephesians, or uh, turn to Ephesians 3. We were in Philippians 3 before. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says in verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he may note unto me the mystery, as I wrote in four few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am, the, uh, who am less than the least of all saints, and is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was overwhelmed that God would even use him for this. That Paul, that God would have him do this. And look what it says in verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the, the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. 
according to his eternal purpose, which we have purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. The Apostle Paul here, he was so confident that what he had came from the Lord. Did you know what? It didn't bother him that he was sitting in prison. The Apostle Paul talked many times about not being ashamed of me, his prisoner. You know, often they would be tempted to be embarrassed or ashamed at the persecution that they would receive. We see one time in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is preaching and the whole crowd, the whole stadium, they all start chanting, you know, great is Diana, worshiping their false god. And that would be humiliating, wouldn't it? It would be humiliating to have a mob of people surround you, calling you a heretic, calling you all these things, stoning you, getting beaten and humiliated. But the Apostle Paul, he was able to just get up and he was able to keep going because he's like, you know what? These people might not believe it, but it's the truth. Hey, the, the majority's not on our side, but it's the truth. He was so sure that what he had was from the Lord that nobody could stop him from preaching it. And the reasons many people today, they will not open their mouths is because they don't know if what they have comes from the Lord. They don't know if what they're teaching is biblical. Part of it's because they've bought into false doctrine. And one of the things I've learned too is people who are taught right doctrine seem to get on board pretty quick and get confident pretty quick. False doctrine, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of Bible college to get you confident in that. You know, you got to have a big network of people. You got to have all the, they got to have in all these different preachers and things that they can associate themselves with before they're going to have the confidence, confidence to get up and preach the foolishness that they're preaching. But when you show, when somebody truly gets saved and you show them the truth from the Bible, they get bold pretty quick. They don't need a whole bunch of indoctrination or anything like that. They don't need all these credentialed speakers with all these degrees to come tell them it's okay. They've got the Word of God. They've got the Holy Spirit. You try to stop some of these people from spreading the gospel. You try to stop them. Good luck with that. You're not going to do it. And that's how the Apostle Paul was because he was confident what he had came from the Lord, that it was scriptural. And because he was confident, he was confident, he, he knew what he's preaching, what he's teaching, it would be beneficial for other people. And so even though in Romans 1.16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you know, he talked about how you know, it was a stumbling block to the Jews. They thought it was, uh, the Greeks thought it was foolishness. You know, the Jews, they wanted the sign, but he's like, you know what? I'm preaching this to them anyway, because whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, this is what will get them saved. This is good for them, whether they like it or not. They might think of me as an enemy. They might even persecute me, but you know what? Who cares? This will save their soul if they will listen to it. So, you know what? I'll go ahead and take a chance. And you know what? When you're confident that what you're teaching is the truth, if you get a door slammed in your face, it's not going to make you quit. If you get cussed out by one guy, it's not going to make him quit. He might think, you know, he might talk to you like you're just a scumbag and a scum of the earth. But you know what? You know, if he would have listened and he would have believed he'd have gotten saved and gone to heaven. You know that. And while he might have made you feel bad there, you know, hey, well, you know what? Maybe the next person will listen and they'll get saved. What I am offering is good. It is for the benefit of man. And therefore, I'm going to keep on doing it and I'm going to do it with confidence. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I never noticed this until somebody pointed this out to me. If you ever see the Jehovah's Witnesses when they're out, and I was blessed yesterday, I got to knock on the door of a Jehovah's Witness, all right? When they're out, you should watch how slow they walk. 
they walk really, really slow. There's a reason for that. And I talked to a guy who was a former Jehovah's Witness. He told me that it was because uh, uh, somebody had mentioned that. I think it was Brother Perry was telling me about it. And he goes to Brother Perry's church. And he was like, why do they walk so slow? And he's like, you know, I'll say that's him. So he asked this man who was a former Jehovah's Witness. And right away he said, because we are required to put in a certain amount of time. And, you know, they want to keep as much time between doors as possible. So if they're like required two hours or whatever, the slower you walk, the less rejection you get. But, you know, that's not how we are when we go out. When we go out, you know, we want to get to that next person. We're ready to go. You know why? Because we're confident in what we're teaching. They're not. They're not. And I don't know why they would be confident in what they're teaching. But we are. We're confident. And so we, we want to get to that next door fast. We want to go to the neighborhoods where there's a lot of houses compacted close so we can knock as many doors as possible. We're not, you know, we're not going to go out in the country where we can spend as much time between houses as possible. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's what they do many times because they're just putting in their time. They're not doing it with any confidence at all. So Paul, he didn't need, you know, he didn't feel the need to act like a crooked salesman. He didn't do that. Paul didn't feel the need to put on a show and try to look smart. He didn't try to use enticing words of man's wisdom. He didn't do any of that. He didn't need that. And a preacher with confidence will not need to feel like he needs to conform to those around him or worry about just trying to be liked. And that's what the trendies are doing today. The trendies, what do they got to do? They're always just trying to, they're always conform to everything. Trying to be like the world, be more seeker sensitive or whatever you want to call it. Why do they do this? Because they're not confident in the message that they're preaching. And when you are, when you're confident that what you're preaching is the truth, then you're going to have more of just lacking or lumping attitude. Okay? Hey, changing, compromising, watering it down, it's just not an option. It's not an option. So we're going to do it like the Bible says. And if you don't like it, there's plenty of other places that you can go that'll preach it however you want. So, we're, we're, but we're actually confident here, so we're going to do it the way the Bible says. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. So we also ought to have confidence in our cause or our purpose. And, that, and that, this goes for whatever we're doing. But in Philippians 1.12, it says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out, rather, under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We see that the Apostle Paul, him getting thrown in prison, it actually motivated other people. It actually got them speaking more boldly. In fact, historically, that's what we see in the church. Whenever Christians would get persecuted, all of a sudden they get more bold. Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. It's just because they it, it, it's proof that what they're doing is making a difference. It's whenever you do, whenever you start getting the persecution, you know it's the devil. You know it's not the Lord persecuting you when you're doing right. And that just makes you want to fight harder. All right? Sometimes it's like, you know, we're pretty passive, but we just need something to light a fire on us. You know? Maybe you don't want to beat somebody up, but after he punches you in the nose and that pain hits you, you're like, I'm not going to let him do that again. And what do you do? You start fighting back. It lights a fire into you. It kind of it kind of gets some rage going. And you know, a lot of times we just get real relaxed. We get real comfortable. We get real passive. And sometimes the Lord's got to allow some persecution to come along 
to just light a fire under us and to realize, hey, we've got a cause. We've got a purpose. Let's go and do something about it. You know what we almost need in this country? We almost need cities trying to make laws banning soul winning. Because you know what that would do? That would make a lot of Baptists all of a sudden want to start doing it. That's just kind of how real Christians are. You know, we're just kind of like that by nature. You know, we don't really want to spit on the sidewalk till they make a law telling you you can't spit on the sidewalk. And then what do we all want to do? We want to spit on the sidewalk. And you know what? Got a lot of people today. They're not, Solney's not even on their radar, but you know, if the cities would start passing ordinances saying you couldn't do it, they're going to want to do it. And it's going to motivate, it's going to motivate them. And, per, and I, I think that's kind of what happened with Paul. Persecution often motivates the saints. I've been motivated before by just, by seeing other people being persecuted. It just may, I've, I've seen it before where, you know, preacher friends of mine, they're getting persecuted for preaching against sodomites and perversion. And when I see that, man, I'm going to preach on that. It's not that I'm looking for persecution, but I'm like, you know what? I agree with what they're preaching. I, I'm, I'm in line with that too. I'm going to say something about it. I'm going to get involved. And you know what? That's one of the reasons I believe the tribulation is going to be one of the most effective times in the world in getting the gospel out is because persecution often motivates people. It makes the phonies quit. A lot of people are going to just lay down and quit and compromise, but that's just because they're phonies. They're not really saved, but those who do know the Lord will be strong and do exploits. I believe that's what's going to happen. So uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. So we ought to have confidence in our purpose. We also ought to have, you ought to have confidence in your church. Second right. Corinthians chapter seven, verse 12. It says, wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. In first Corinthians, Paul, in his letter, he wrote unto them, rebuking them because they were accompanying with fornicators. And he said, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to have that in the church. And he told him in that letter, you need to put that man out from among you. Alright, he needs to be, uh, he needs to be cast out. But when you do that, we don't cast them out to destroy them. We want them to get right. And apparently what we, we can tell from reading 2 Corinthians, it worked. This man got right. This man got right with God who was thrown out of the church. And look at verse 13. It says, therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly, the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. If you read earlier in 2 Corinthians, he was talking about when he wrote that first letter, he was sorry at first. He's like, you know what? I probably offended them. I probably hurt them. You know, he was, he was worried about it. But at the same time, he realized it was okay because he was confident they were going to do the right thing. And you know what? After he sent Titus and after he got word back about what the church had done, he realized, you know what? Turns out they did do the right thing. Hey, they didn't get offended. You know what they did? They got right. And not only did they get right, that man that was cast out of the church, he got right, and Paul encouraged him to receive him back in. What was supposed to be done in that church was done. And Paul, he did. He bragged on these people. He bragged on them to Titus, and it turned out 
They came through. And I've been there before where I've, I've recommended churches to people. And I told them, hey, you guys, you live in this area, you need to go to this church. This is a great church. You know, and I'll tell them all these great things. I'll boast on that church. And then I talk to them later and then they're like, um, yeah, it's not like that in that church anymore. I'm like, really? You know, and then I find out what's going on in that church. I find out about the compromise there and it's, it's disappointing. And I've been disappointed many times. And truth is, that's how it is in many churches. People, they have no confidence in their church. The church isn't doing the right thing. The pastor's not preaching the truth. They have no clue what's going to happen. There's good people that are out there. There's good Christian people that are just sometimes in crummy churches. And they've got to just put up with some serious junk. And you know what? That's not right. We ought to be able to have, you ought to be able to have confidence in this church. You ought to be, you know, you guys ought to have confidence that I'm not going to have a heretic get up here and preach some kind of crazy heresy. You know, a lot of the guest speakers that we have come in aren't people that you know personally. Maybe they're people that I know. And, you know, you ought to be able to have confidence that I'm not going to bring in a heretic. And if I do bring somebody in and they happen to preach heresy, you ought to have confidence that, you know, what, Pastor Tommy will rebuke it. Pastor Tommy will deal with it. And that might happen too. I might have somebody come in sometime and they might have some heresy I don't know about and they might preach about it. But you know what? If that happens, you know what I'm going to do? One, I'm not going to have them back. And two, I'm going to rebuke it. And I've had people here in the past. We had, I had a guy here years ago. While he was preaching in the service, I'm like, I love this man, but this will be the last time he preaches here. And, it, and I never had him back. You know, and it wasn't anything massive. It wasn't a huge deal, but he did. He said some things in that sermon. I'm just like, this is disappointing. And he, he's not been back and he's not coming back unless he gets these things right. And you guys ought to have confidence of that. If some guy gets up here in church and preaches Jesus is his Messiah, okay, that could, I guess it's possible it could happen. I could let one slip through the cracks. But if anybody ever does that, you ought to have confidence this guy ain't coming back. Hey, if, if somebody ever does that, you ought to have confidence that next time Pastor Tommy preaches, he's probably going to be all over that. And I actually deal with it. And unfortunately, you know, and there's been guys I've had, I've had confidence in. I, I used to have confidence in Pastor Keith Gomez. And I remember when I heard he was going to have Sam Gipp coming, I knew Sam Gipp was going to be preaching crazy heresy. And I thought, man, he's, this is going to be bad. Brother Gomez, he's going to get up there and he's going to, de- he's going to deal with this. He's going to, he's going to lay him out. Didn't happen. Dis- disappointed. Very, you know, very disappointing. And I feel bad for all the good people that are in that church that ought to be able to have confidence in their pastor ought to be able to have confidence that he wouldn't let somebody like that ever come back. Or if somebody would do that, that he would publicly rebuke that. But sadly, uh, it's just all political today. It's all political. It's all politics. And that's sad. But we ought, you ought to have confidence in your church. You ought to have confidence that you're going to hear the truth preached. You ought to have confidence that the church is going to deal with perverts, deal with heretics. Galatians 5, 7-10, we don't have time uh, to read through it. But you know, there's people... Uh, that shouldn't be here. The Bible says in there, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. If we allow sin in this church, if we allow certain teachings, allow certain uh, immoral behavior, it could spread in the church and this ought to be a safe haven from that. We shouldn't have that kind of thing going on and you ought to have confidence that that's going to be the case, but that is just not the case in many churches. There's, there's churches out there. They've had Sunday school teachers. They've had staff members that have gotten busted in perversion 
And not only does the church not publicly deal with it or throw them out of the church, what do they do? They sweep it under the rug and they leave that person in that position. That's just wicked. You ought to have, you should, you ought to have confidence that that's not going to happen. You ought to have confidence that the church will be honest and do things that are right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 20. Look what it says. It says, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and of the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on, our, on your behalf. He's talking about, hey, these are guys that you can trust. He said, one of the things, because one of the things we do, we're going to avoid being blamed for stuff. We're going to be avoid being blamed for things that are wicked. We want to avoid being blamed for scandals. We, as a church here, you know, we do. We have a building that we own. We have bills that we pay. We have money that is given to this church. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to provide for honest things. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. That's why one of the reasons I believe in certain church structure. That's why I believe in certain you know, things like membership and some of the organized things we do. The way I try to handle things in this church, I try to run business in this church in the most open, honest way possible. Because you know what? So, well, the Lord knows we're doing things right. Yeah, but the Bible says providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. We don't want to be perceived as doing things crooked and illegal. We're going to do things, especially when it comes to the finances and stuff, because we don't want Uncle Sam coming after us. All right, we don't, we don't need a scandal. We don't need anything like that. And you know what? We've got nothing to hide when it comes to that. So we do. We've got certain things set up. Why? Because I want, as a church, all right, I'm, just, I'm just going to be honest right here. As a church... We need money. Did you know our electricity isn't for free? Y'all want to be warm this winter? The gas isn't free. All right, well, there's bills that we pay. Y'all like having toilets? The water's not free. None of this stuff's free. And you know what? If you like the preaching, if you, like, if you want good sermons, things like that, you know what? It takes a lot of time. And you know what? I've got six kids. I've got another one on the way. And I need to be paid. All right, I need all... So guess what? We need your money. So I need to make sure that you can be confident... That if you give it, it's going to be used properly. That it's going to be used legally, ethically. That there's nothing crooked going on. You all ought to be confident in your church. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people, they don't have that. The church has a lot of history of just crooks being in there. They've got one scandal after another. Financial scandals. Just think the church doesn't, you know, they don't have any way to give account. There's no accountability. That is not good, folks. You ought to be able to be confident in your church and that if you do, if you decide to, whether it's to give five bucks or five grand, you ought to have confidence that it will be used properly. And just in case somebody wants to give the five grand, 
you know, we're going to make sure you can be confident that it will be used appropriately. All right. And I, I think we're proving that just in case anyone's thinking about it. So anyway, but, uh, look at first John just real quick. So you ought, you ought to have confidence in your church. And just lastly, real quick, you know what? You ought to have confidence that God hears our prayers. It says in verse John five thirteen, these things are I written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe in the name of the son of God. And this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Listen, if we are saved, all right, if we know he can save us, if we know he saved us just because we called on him and asked him to, why would we not have confidence that he hears our other prayers? Saving you is a pretty big deal. Did you know that saving us required God sending his son to his earth, him living a perfect life, dying a horrible death on the cross, being buried for three days, rising again from the dead? It required all of those things for him to save us. If he was able to do so, if he did that, if he was able to save us, were all those things required for him to just answer a prayer? To just take care of a need? Absolutely not. We ought to have confidence that God hears our prayers. And that He is able to answer those prayers. But many people today, they're not praying just because they have no confidence that God hears them. Well, why not? If He heard your prayer of salvation, why wouldn't He hear your other prayers? If anybody ought to be confident in their prayers, it ought to be us. We know we're saved. We know we're on our way to heaven. You know, there's people out there that pray to statues. They do. They pray to statues. And I, there's no way they've got confidence that that statue is going to answer their prayers. There's no way. All right? Some might be confident, but I, I doubt it. Okay? Most of those people that pray to statues, they don't know that they're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven. Why wouldn't we be confident that God hears our prayers? There's no reason for that. So lack of confidence, it will often cause us to miss opportunities. And if you don't have confidence in these things. You need to work on these things. You need to work on them because there are some things it's of the utmost importance that you get right. Especially your salvation. If you're not sure you're saved, it's probably because you're trusting in your works. Really, salvation, it is assurance of salvation. That's trusting in the work. It's trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can be sure. That's the only way you can be confident. And God wants us confident in these things. We need to be confident Christians. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for sending your son, for saving us. I thank you that we can have confidence in these things. I'm so glad that we don't have to worry and wonder uh, if there's a possibility that we could uh, potentially spend an eternity in hell, Lord. We were able to be confident knowing that you paid it all for us. And I pray if there's one here that's never uh, received that free gift, I pray that they'll get that before they leave today. And I uh, pray if there's uh, some here that maybe they've just not been confident in their walk, not been confident in their prayer life, I pray that they will uh, get that way, get their focus right so they can have victory in their life. In your name we pray. Amen.